This is the Labour Housing Podcast. Welcome to the Labour Housing Podcast. We're live in Liverpool at Labour Party Conference. Today we're looking at the private rented sector and the radical proposals that the Labour Party have for reforming what in many cases is a broken part of the housing market. Today we're talking about private renting and renters' unions. It's been a big topic on the fringe debating um, around conference uh, over the last few days. So it's a really important thing to talk about. I am joined by three people. Firstly, Jacob Mukherjee from Generation Rent, which is making a massive impact on this debate, given that you're how many people actually in Generation Rent? Three paid staff. Three but paid we, staff. We, we work with renter unions as well, so we've got other allies. You punch above your weight, definitely, and uh, have made quite a big difference, I think, in terms of how the Labour Party is thinking about um, private renting policy at the moment. We've got Annie May O'Hagan, who is a journalist who doesn't need any introduction, but has written particularly, and why it's great to have you here, about what happens in other countries, and, and Berlin in particular, and, and it's it would be good to get your insights um, from that. Um, and Katia uh, Nassim from the London Renters Union um, uh, is with us as well. Katia, can you just explain what the London Renters Union is? is for anybody who doesn't know. So London Renters Union is a new campaigning union for private renters in London. Um, We're aiming to uh, provide uh, a way for renters to support each other and stand up to landlords. Uh, And ultimately, we're hoping to uh, transform the housing system through collective action. That's great. We have we have lots of policies that we'll talk about in a minute that the Labour Party wants to do and uh, that are about renters' unions, and you're doing it already, which is great. So yeah. <laughs> we can talk about what the lessons are from what you've. Yeah, you've, we have uh, branches in Newham, Lewisham, and Hackney now, but we've launched London-wide over um, in, over the summer. I'm a member. Mm. Excellent. Me too. <laughs> but maybe we're a bit too London-focused in this conversation. <laughs> I'm not a member yet, but I'm from London. Other rent um, unions are available. Other rent <laughs> unions are available. Good. Um, let's just start by setting the scene in terms of what is going on in the private rental sector. Why is everyone talking about it? What are the problems that um, need to be fixed? Um, I don't know if we want to go around. Start with you, Jacob. Sure. Well, um, thanks for having us on. Uh, I think the the main thing most renters are aware of is is cost. Um, obviously, renting is privately renting is more expensive um, than paying a mortgage, and it's a lot more expensive than having a council tenancy. Yeah. Um, you know, in London, a lot of people are paying over half of their income um, in rent, but it's not just London. There's loads of cities where wages haven't kept pace with how rents have risen. So there's, there's cost, uh, but then there's also insecurity. So um, and that's where Section Twenty One comes in. So. Landlords in England and Wales can evict tenants after as little as six months um, without even having to give a reason, which is a massive cause of homelessness. It's the leading cause of homelessness, but also just makes renters feel insecure and afraid to complain about conditions in their property. If they if repairs need doing, it makes them scared to tell their landlord in case they get evicted. Mm. And lots of people do get evicted. And that's probably also why conditions are quite bad in private rented homes. So a third don't even meet the government's own like decent home standards, so they're basically either dangerous or, um, or you know, unclean or unhygienic, um, and so those are those are some of the problems. Yeah, um, Katia, can you just kind of unpick what what happens with Section Twenty One? I mean, how does it how does that 
work what happens to people they're sitting there in their home they think everything's fine mm. what happens so section 21 uh, is a no fault eviction notice and the landlord can issue that notice and then you have two months in which to vacate the property um, we we have loads of loads of members who've had uh, had section 21 notices um, in particular um, recently an LA, a London renters union member living in Hackney who was a single mother with a young child had been living somewhere for four years and then had a section 21 notice and then had to kind of deal with the kind of having to move but then also had to deal with the fact that actually it was very difficult for her to find alternative housing in that time period because of the cost of the deposit because yeah. of the, all the costs related to moving so yeah yeah so section 21 is the, the biggest kind of cause of homelessness at, at the moment yeah. in England and every time someone has to move they have to pay the upfront costs exactly of an agency fee and the deposit and and I mean presumably just in terms of the levels of um, rent that deposit is pretty high and pretty hard to find for, for lots of people yeah I think the es- one estimate is it uh, about two thousand pounds on average, um, uh, but that's a national figure. So in London, it will be a lot higher. Yeah. So that includes deposit, um, upfront rent, and then obviously all the moving costs as well, hiring yeah. a removal van, everything else. Yeah. And what happens if uh, people are in um, a private rented accommodation and the quality is no good? How do they? What kind of what powers are there to them to actually try and do something about it? Well, this is, I mean, this is one of the key issues is that renters have so few rights or mechanisms for legal redress. I mean, as Jacob mentioned, homes aren't even required to be, uh, a third of homes actually don't meet the decent home standard. Mm. They're not required to be fit for human habitation. Um, It's really difficult to challenge a landlord over disrepair. And actually, um, I mean, something else about Section 21 is that we know that revenge evictions, um, which is an eviction as a result of complaining about housing issues and complaining about disrepair, are on the increase. I think it's about 150,000 revenge evictions in the last three years. Um, so it's a huge issue, and one of the you know one of the the um, the key issue is is that uh, let uh, uh, renters have few rights, and they also don't have a collective voice to represent their interests. And yeah. um, by contrast, you have this huge imbalance of power between landlords and renters. A situation where renters are kind of trapped in a market, which was sort you know paying extortionate rents with few rights to fall back on mm. and a system that's set up for uh, profiteering from housing and mm. landlordism. Um, and landlords have huge, powerful lobbies to represent their interests, whereas yeah. renters are kind of, you know, isolated and fragmented and don't, you know, Generation Rent and groups like Generation Rent have kind of done a great job of raising renters' issues, but we need a kind of mechanism by which renters can speak with yeah. one voice. Yeah. Um, let's just think about what good looks like in a in a, a transformed system um i was in um berlin a couple of weeks ago and was talking to our sister party there and they were saying that when they went into negotiation with angela merkel to um to agree a coalition government the voices of tenants were around the table because of the strength of the mm. tenants unions that exist over there, which is just extraordinary, because the idea that when David Cameron and Nick Clegg were having conversations about what they were going to do in coalition, that renters' voices would be anywhere on their um, agenda is just, uh, you know, ridiculous. So, I mean, you've looked at um, Germany and, and Berlin, and what 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 do they do there that, that works? Why is it better? 
I mean, I think first it's important not to um, hold Berlin up as like the ideal because rents are rising very, very fast True. in Berlin. True. But there are yeah. lots of things that are happening in Berlin and in other places um, in Europe that we should have here and we don't have. Mm. So um, there are tales of uh, renters groups coming to this country and the, and Britain basically being used as the kind of scare story in order to m- mobilise and organise tenants in other countries by basically saying look look at Britain look how bad it can get you don't want to be like Britain yeah yeah and so there are things that are happening in Berlin that are um that are different so first of all you can't be evicted in Berlin if you complain to your landlord um indefinite tenancies and long tenancies are kind of the default um so the idea of you being chucked out one day is not really it's not really an issue in Berlin like it is in, in this country. Mm. Um, also, uh, across lots of different countries in Europe, like Holland, Sweden, places in France and in Germany, um, they, they have stable rents in areas um, that are at risk of high gentrification. So you don't wake up, you know, so, uh, friends of mine in London um, lived in a very dilapidated house that actually they eventually had to leave because it was illegal because of the condition that it was being kept in. And one year the landlord tried to raise the rent overnight by 50%. That just wouldn't happen in um no. in these countries yeah so it's it's a lot more tenant focused also the court's decisions tend to go a lot more with the tenants and as katia was saying um landlords just uh, are counterbalanced by um collective power of tenants in these countries yes and one of the uh, features which makes it very different is that the um the landlord who makes his income from um, renting property is a very British phenomenon. So 70% of landlords in this country um, only let out one property and that's their source of income. Yes. Whereas in, in Germany, in um, Holland, in Sweden, in these kind of countries, what you'll find is that um, co- uh, companies rent out lots of buildings. Mm. And so there's much more of a kind of customer yeah, sort of style relationship. Or co-ops. They'll be co-ops exactly. Yeah, yeah, that involves yeah. like kind of customer service. Now, I actually don't think that housing should be a case of customer service either. I think it should be more based around the idea of rights and security. But in this country, you know, you have tales like um, landlords saying that any sort of attempt at regulation is an infringement of their human rights. And it's because it's their only source of income. So they tend to contest it very fiercely. Mm. And that's another difference. And so I really think that the the announcement that Labour made of wanting to support a renters union is really, really exciting because actually... I think what's really important to understand about renting is it can be done differently. It is being done differently. Mm. This isn't pie in the sky thinking. Mm. This is real, solid policy that's happening elsewhere. Yes. You know, yeah. we've designed the housing market in this country. We can redesign it however we like, and this is being done elsewhere. There are working examples across Europe that yeah. we can copy. Yeah. So, in terms of um, tenants unions, then renters unions, how does it? How do they work? What, what what kind of structures are put in place? How do people get a voice? How do they function in a, you know, say we've said today, 20 million pounds spent over three years. What, what will that 20 million pounds pay for and how will it work? Um, so, I mean, I think there's prob- probably different, uh, different ways, ways of doing it, it in yeah. different renters unions. How it's working in London renters union is um, it's a member-led organisation, so members kind of decide on how what the kind of campaigns the, the union does. At the moment, we've been part of the campaign to end Section 21. There's also member support, which is um, members kind of supporting each other with their housing issues and taking action over uh, disrepair, taking action over landlord harassment. I think on a much 
bigger scale obviously you could kind of uh you could see how that essentially at the heart of it is it kind of takes away from um renters being stuck in stuck in individual disputes with their landlord mm. and enables them to be part of an organization where they have the resources and the support to draw on when um, when uh, dealing with their landlord and enables us also to have a, a voice and kind of and and campaign for changes to renters rights mm. i mean ending section 21 is a really crucial step towards mm. renters rights mm. and and the key thing about that is it's is it's beginning to um, remove incentives for landlordism and remove mm. kind of um we want to kind of get to a place where profiteering from housing is no longer the norm. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Section 21 then. What 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 are you suggesting? You know, we're saying we want to um, get rid of it. How does that work? What happens? What comes in its place? Uh, well, there are loads of different countries that don't have no-fault evictions. Ellie mentioned Germany, Holland, um, most of Scandinavia, and even some US cities um, like uh, France, Seattle. France, I think. Does France? France has longer tenancies, but they still have... At the end of the tenancy, you can still kick your tenants out on on no fault grounds. But in in countries like Germany, Holland, Scandinavia, um, they have open ended tenancies, and actually they have those in Scotland as well now. As of last year, the Scottish government introduced those. And the way that works is that um, it's basically the same as a what well, I like to compare it to a permanent contract in a job. Um, if you have a permanent contract in a job, it doesn't mean you can never be fired, but it does mean that if your boss does want to get rid of you, you have a legal defence against that. They have to go through a process. They have to provide you grounds for that. Um, if you've been there for a certain period, they have to pay redundancy. And we think actually that landlords should have to do that as well if they evict you on um, no-fault grounds if they need to reoccupy the property. So I think um, uh, for us, indefinite tenancies are the way forward. Um, how that would work is that a tenant would be able to leave the tenancy with a period of notice, um, but the landlord wouldn't be able to just kick the tenant out um, for no good reason. Mm. Um, and what counts as a good reason? So if, if the tenant hasn't paid their rent? Yeah. So there's different there's different sort of bits of law and different procedures for if the tenant hasn't paid their rent or if they're not looking after the property. Um, and um, those those powers will have to still remain. There is also obviously an issue of the fact that loads of people can't pay their rent because rents are really high and wages are really low. So it's not like we're saying it's okay for landlords to be able to evict people um, for rent arrears. Mm. That needs to be dealt with as well. But mm. the problem with no-fault evictions is the landlord literally doesn't have to give a reason. A reason. <laughs> so they could do it because they don't like you. They could do it because um, you're um, complaining about your uh, conditions and uh, they find you troublesome. Um, they could do it because the rent's too uh, low for them and they want to make more money um, and they want to kick, kick you out and get a higher paying tenant in, someone who's on a higher income who they can charge more rent to. Mm. So there's actually a link between evictions and rent rises. As evictions go up, rents go up because landlords are kicking people out, getting um, wealthier uh, tenants in and that's linked to gentrification as Ellie was saying. Um, yeah, so, but there are a number of different models uh, but what I think is indefensible is this law that allows landlords to basically uh, kick tenants out with no reason. Yeah, yeah, and you know, in my surgery, obviously housing is the biggest issue that people come um, to see me about, and increasingly it's people in private rented accommodation who are desperate for social housing, absolutely desperate, because the quality of their housing is so poor, the costs are so high, um, and um, uh, you know, they they really are stuck in this very insecure world where they can be evicted at any time, and, and for them, the idea of a, a social um, social housing is is you know that security that you that you get is, is incredibly important, and it's it's increasing increasingly an issue. Um, what about rent controls and 
and that kind of area how do we go about making sure we don't have these huge hikes in rent well i think there's a few different ways you can do this too um so there's two i guess there's two slightly different things there's the issue of rent rises and then there's the issue of the overall level of rents so um, I think Labour's position at the moment is that rent shouldn't rise by more than the rate of inflation, which is pretty good. I think instead maybe we could say that they, they shouldn't rise by more than the level of wage rises, because often inflation uh, rises at a faster rate than wages anyway. Um, and what's important is whether you're spending too much of your income on rent. So I think it should be linked to wage levels. That's one thing. Um, but then you also need to look at the overall level of rents because it's okay saying rent shouldn't rise by more than inflation or wage rises. But what if rents are already too high? Then you need to cut rents. Um, and uh, one model that could be adopted and that Generation Rent at least supports is having a living rent, um, which would be um, a certain proportion of the average uh, income in a particular area, um, say 35%. And that if landlords were charging more than that amount, they'd have to pay like a, a tax basically on top of that, which could be then used to plough back into social housing. Um, and the idea there would be to, me- to make it so that um, rent was affordable and uh, you didn't have people being forced to leave their communities because they couldn't um, pay the rent levels. But there's loads of different ways of doing it. I mean, actually most countries in Europe do have one form or another of rent control. We used to have it here until 1988 as well. So um, it's not, you know, it, it's not a, a kind of uh, necessarily particularly radical or, or even new idea um, but it's important to establish the principle you can't just let the market decide and you can't just let landlords decide what people will pay. You do need to have some uh, means of making rent affordable when you've got more and more people living in privately rented homes. Yeah, There's, There seems to be a bit of a, a shift um, politically in that we're talking more about private renting, which is good. The government is making the right kind of noises, even though I would argue what they're doing is 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 not particularly impactful. When I stood for election in 2015, we were saying we wanted to ban letting agency fees, and my opponent then was Gavin Barwell, who became the housing minister, and he was putting in his leaflets this was a tax on renters because all that would happen is landlords would put this money onto renters, and then of course now the government are introducing it, um, although they're also introducing this cap on deposits at six weeks, which I think might increase people's um, deposits, so giving with one hand and, and taking with the other. But I guess, do people think that there's been a bit of a shift across the piece in terms of how we're looking at private renting and where do we need to go from here? What's the next step? Obviously, Labour's got a pretty radical agenda, um, but you know, where's Nirvana? Where, where, where do we go from, from here? Any thoughts? <laughs> God, this is a big question. Do you, think, do you think the Conservatives care about private renters? Are, are you getting a sense that the government's talking well, about? Well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll happily, I'm, I'm not representing any organisation, so I'll happily go full partisan on this, which is I think that one, uh, one useful uh, intervention that everybody could make is to vote Labour, because um, we know that the, uh, the last, uh, that 72 uh, Conservative MPs opposed an amendment to try and uh, make sure that all homes were fit for habitation. We know that the majority of landlords in Parliament are Conservatives. Um, so, and you know, they are traditionally the party of the landed gentry. So yeah. it's sort of like baked into the Conservative yeah. way of being to protect landlords and not tenants. So, yes. I mean, uh, that's a, you know, you are a Labour MP, so I feel like I could be partisan <laughs> on your podcast. That's a very partisan answer. But I think voting Labour is is a, one important step. I just don't think of it. I think it would be easier to shift Labour in the direction of fair housing. I think the Tories would resist that. Yeah. Um, 
And I do think, um, you know, the reason that I joined the London's Renters Union is because I do think that uh, we have to counter the incredible lobbying efforts that's made by landlords in order to keep things as they are. And I also think we need to think about the sort of rhetoric that we're talking about. So Jacob said just then, you know, rent control is not a radical measure. And I agree. And I would actually say that what's happening now is the radical stuff. You know, that you can be evicted one day for no reason whatsoever, mm. that your landlord can raise rent as much as they like, that they can charge you a fee just to extend a contract. Those are all radical things that are happening now. You know, mm. it's it's madness. And so I think also we need to look at the way that we talk about housing. I think we need to be very clear that this isn't normal. Yeah. Um, yeah. This doesn't have to be the way that it is. It, you know, that things are different elsewhere and they yeah. can be different here. Yeah. And that also, you know, I suspect the vast majority of landlords are trying to do the right thing and half of them don't necessarily know quite what they're doing and they, they're operating within a system. You, you look, you're all looking like you disagree with me. <laughs> but they, they're operating, the system is is broken. It's not that, you know, we want to point at all landlords and go, you're all terrible people because they're not. Um, but but it's, the, it's, it's the, the way the system is structured. It just means that people have absolutely no rights. Um, and when I'm in Parliament, the, the Tory MPs will always say, well, we're all for people having rights, mm. but, you know, we don't want it to go too far. We don't want the balance to mm. swing too far. And, you know, clearly the balance needs to swing quite a lot <laughs> further. I mean, I, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a broken system. I do think that, you know, in terms of like what you were saying about landlords not knowing and to sort of marry what you were saying and what I was saying, I think that one... Um, step that we can take is to be clear that actually renting property is not it, it can't be your only source of income mm. I think that yeah. that is a uniquely British phenomenon and I think that um, actually we shouldn't be encouraging people to think that um, just owning property is a way of accruing wealth I think mm. I, I think that has like led to quite a damaging situation I think mm. that you know landlords per se are not bad but I think when you have a system where um, a person's job essentially is to own a house and rent it out I think that and especially in such an unregulated system as ours I think that means that naturally abuse is going to happen. Mm. Yes. Yes. It's about denaturalizing landlordism and kind of um and as 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 Ellie says, it's just a it's completely accepted that, that is how mm. you can that can be your main source of income, owning owning yeah. property. Yeah. And and that's been pushed kind of culturally uh, for a very long time. <laughs> and like and obviously with buy to let um, but and uh, you know buy to let and how how that came in and and we've had and mortgage right prob- to buy as well. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so so it's about taking. I mean, in terms of an ultimate aim, it's about mm. actually denaturalizing kind of profiteering from housing and landlordism, and that you know we want housing to be seen as a social good, want housing to be decommodified, and um, yeah. public investment in public housing. That's our ultimate aim. Mm. Yeah, just in terms of like how the conversations changed, I think there has obviously been real progress. But one thing that's particularly encouraging. Generation Rents are non-partisan organisations, so I wouldn't dream of suggesting that people vote any particular way. <laughs> However, um, uh, I think one really encouraging thing about what Labour have said today is that whereas um, the Tories have been quite happy to talk about extra legislation, and we do need extra legislation, the really great thing I think about Labour's announcement today is that it's seeing renter organising and renters mobilising and, and actually fighting for their own interests as the key to changing the housing market. Um, in the same way as we acknowledge that having unions in the workplace 
um, and having them have a role in negotiations over paying conditions and being able to represent their members is absolutely fundamental to getting like equality and justice at work. Um, the same applies in, in, in renting and that's why it's really important to, to, to give these renter unions a kickstart, not just by giving them extra money, but also by changing the law to make it easier for them to organise. Mm. Section 21 is part of that. If you get rid of no-fault evictions, you make it easier for renters to stand up for themselves. But I think we could go further, um, maybe give renters the right to withhold rent, um, which would be like a really useful bargaining chip. Um, uh, and then also, you know, look at giving renter unions some formal powers to negotiate with landlords. Um, so there's other things that can be done, but I think, you know, this is a great start from, from Labour today. Brilliant. On that happy note, um, we'll have to finish. Thank you so much to all three of you. That's a really interesting conversation. This is going to carry on and I'm sure our policy will continue to develop. So thanks ever so much. Thank you. Cool. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you.